Welcome to Career Tools. This week, Communicating Across the Language Barrier, Chapter 2, Facial Expressions and Body Language. The questions this class answers are, how do I present to an audience with a different first language to me? How do I work with a colleague who has a different first language to me? And how do I communicate across a language barrier? Kate, Sarah and I recorded a cast uh, a couple of weeks ago about communicating across a language barrier. And we talked about the words you use and the way that you use them. Things like making sure that you're using short words, easy words to understand, not using contractions or idioms that people won't understand. But uh, the words you use and the way you say them are only two parts of communication behavior. There's three more. And we're going to do two, two more of those today, facial expressions and body language. So what's our outline? Our outline is covering show your face, high D, high I, control your gestures, high S, high C, increase your gestures in size and frequency, and don't wear distractions. So we start with show your face. Most of us have read that body language is 70% or more of human communication. And many of you will also have seen research where scientists showed volunteers photos of people and they asked them what they think the person in the photo is feeling. It's amazing, but volunteers have an incredibly high recognition of facial expressions. Even if the person isn't speaking, humans are very adept at identifying facial expressions and knowing what emotion another person is feeling based on those expressions. And facial expressions are so ingrained that one study found that 99% of volunteers use exactly the same muscles to make a smile. It's incredible. Humans have this innate ability to create and understand facial expressions. Even people who are blind from birth make the same faces and facial expressions as people who are sighted in the same situations. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. I, if you look for the study that proves this, it's um, a study where they looked at Olympic winners and they looked at the first second, uh, the gold uh, silver and bronze medal winners, and they took a photo the split second that somebody would have heard their name as being announced that they were the gold, silver or bronze winner, and they they took it at the normal Olympics and they did it at the Special Olympics with the with blind competitors, and their facial expressions were exactly the same. Despite the fact that, that some of the blind people have been blind since birth and never, ever seen someone's facial expression, it's not a thing that we learn by sight it's a thing that we just have in you know it's one of those things like you know eventually we know all know how to walk and we know how to breathe and you know we know how to go to sleep we make facial expressions and they're all the same it's amazing it is I'm always astounded by it and our ability to interpret them it's amazing and this is important to keep in mind when you're speaking to a group in another language when you're speaking another language, your face becomes really important to the audience. And because of this, we don't recommend turning your back on your audience ever. But if you were to do so, an audience who spoke the same first language as you would continue to follow your words and understand what you're saying because they can keep along with verbal cues and, and the actual words you're using. 
that's not the case with people who don't speak the first language, the same first language as you. Those people who are um, have English as their second language need to see your face because it provides so much data in the form of contextual information around the words that you're saying. Consider this sentence. While I was on vacation, my direct took action. If you say it like that and it's completely flat, you don't know whether I think that the action is good or bad. But if I say it with a smile, if I say my, uh, you can tell, it's weird that you can tell whether or not someone's smiling by sound, but you can, which is why you should smile on phone calls because people can tell that you're smiling. But if I say, when I was on vacation, my direct took action, you are primed for the next thing to be positive because I sound happy about it. Whereas if I say, while I was on vacation, my direct took action, you're primed to hear something negative because you can tell by my smile or or by my not smiling what that is going to be. That helps people who maybe don't have a, a full understanding of the language you're speaking, that helps them know what's coming next. It helps them interpret what is coming next, your next sentence, whatever that is, they already have 50% of the information because you they know whether it's good or bad, right? And that's 50% of the information most of the time. You make the appropriate facial expression without even knowing it. As we just said, everybody does. So you don't actually need to think about the expression you're making. All you need to make sure is that the people in the audience can see your face. (laughs) This is really easy, right? Because we do it naturally. You just have to make sure that people can see you do it. Absolutely. Sometimes we move around the room when you're presenting. And so something like moving to the back of the room might be a nice way of connecting with your audience. But what that means is it's harder for people who their first language is not English. The first row has to turn around and they may only be able to see the side of your face. And that could cause a problem because they can't see those facial expressions and it reduces their ability to understand what you're saying. Um, Another time that this happens is if I'm writing, like if you're writing on the, the whiteboard or the easel, you could also be turned away. And so it's a little bit harder, but it's important to stay in front of the audience. When you make eye contact with people who are in the group, in the audience, don't turn your face too much. It's just another data point for them. And so you might be surprised at off how often you have to stop mid-sentence if you prevent yourself talking while looking away from part of your audience. I learned this the hard way because when we're recording these podcasts, we have the show notes to refer to. We don't read them, but we look at them. And when I'm recording, I tend to move the sheet of paper from this page to the next page. You know, when I get to the bottom of the page, I have to move the sheet of paper to read the one behind it. And Paul, our sound engineer, was forever saying, Wendy, please don't you move the paper and talk at the same time. And it's amazing how often I'm still talking and I go to move the piece of paper and then I have to stop and go back because I don't want to make a noise of moving paper while I'm talking. You don't notice how often you are talking and you're looking at only part of the audience. When you stop yourself doing that because you know you're going to talk to an audience who's who don't speak the same first language as you, you'd be amazed at how often you are doing that. Just carrying on talking but not showing everybody your face. 
Mm-hmm. I do this too when I crouch. Sometimes if I'm responding to someone in the audience and it's maybe an answer that I don't think is going to sit comfortably with the audience, I'll kneel down to reduce the size of my body language and things like that. And that means that part of the room can't see me as well because I'm smaller all of a sudden. (laughs) And so if someone's in the very front row in the front corner and I'm in the aisle crouched down, they can't see my face and it's not really great for them. It's funny, this also applies to some extent with someone who's hard of hearing. Mm -hmm. I've had people come to the conference and their hearing isn't perfect or it's not very strong. And they ask me to keep my face towards them so that they can read lips during the presentation, which it's really good to know that in advance because then I can move the right way. But now you guys know how to do it already. Yes. If someone's hard of hearing, it's another place where they are using your face as context for the partial hearing that they have. And they're just adding those factors together in order to understand you. Absolutely. So we want to stay facing the audience. We don't want to hide our face. And for those of you who are high D and high I, we want to control our gestures. I'm so guilty of this. <laughs> Let's talk about high, uh, what high D and high I is quickly for people who haven't listened before. So high D and I, and we're going to, in a second, do high S and high C. They refer to the DISC profile, which is a behavioral instrument that tells you what kind of behaviors that you engage in naturally, and then how you might want to change those in order to be able to communicate with people of different types better. If you go to the website and you search for DISC, it's D-I-S-C, in the search box, you'll come up with the DISC profile that you can take the instrument to find out what you are, and lots of free podcasts that tell you about DISC and how to use it, and some products that you can use as well. So And of course, we have the Effective Communicator Conference where we teach you about DISC and then we try and help you understand other people's styles and how to move towards them. So we have lots and lots of information on the website. So a high D and a high I, those two people are assertive and that tends to mean that they use a big amount of space. So if you are standing behind somebody in a Starbucks queue and you realize you have to step back because they are taking so much space up, they're probably a high D or a high I. (laughs) It's funny, high D, high I, the gestures are big and they do tend to seem like they have larger amounts of personal space. And as important as your facial expression is, your body language is important as well when you're talking to a group, any group, and especially in this case, High Ds and high eyes don't have a problem with their audience being able to see their gestures. You could see some high D, high eye gestures from the moon. <laughs> high D, high eye gestures use all of the arms and some of the body. Maybe there's rocking back and forth. There's waving around. High eyes might demonstrate high up by lifting their hand as far as they can over their head. And then if you were saying low down, they might crouch all the way down and put their hand close to the floor. This large range that they demonstrate is a very assertive set of behaviors. And this can be really helpful with an audience who speaks a foreign language. But, (laughs) there's a but, right? Like, it's really good that you have big gestures because people can see them and they know 
what you're saying. But the problem with high eyes is they sometimes come out of sync. Their gestures come out of sync with their words. So we found an example of this. If you go to YouTube and you look for Bill Clinton at the 2016 Democratic Convention, and if you're a licensee and you have the show notes, it's linked in the show notes. So Bill Clinton is a high eye, and about two and a half minutes in to his speech, he's talking about being in college and a classmate is telling him, you should join the Law Journal because it'll guarantee you a job in a big firm or a clerkship after graduation. But as Clinton says, guarantee me a job, he shakes his finger and his head. So he's saying it will guarantee me a job, which is a really good thing. And yet his body language is saying no. It's He's shaking his head and his, and his fingers wagging. Then he continues that he wasn't interested in that opportunity. So his no gesture is ahead of his words. He's saying a positive sentence, then he says a negative sentence. But the body language for negative comes before the sentence. And it's only fractions of a second. But that's how quickly we take in and we translate communication. We do it that fast. And so if you were speaking... English as a foreign language. Imagine, like, do you think that guarantee is in the first 200 words you learn? It's probably not. You've got to be able to listen and translate and hold that body language signal in your head, waiting until the next sentence comes, which you've also got to listen to and translate. It's really hard. And so to be kind to your audience... Match your body language to your words. Make sure that you are not getting out of sync or you're not showing something with your body. Often if we're being kind of sarcastic, we say one thing and we mean another thing. That's another thing that's really hard for people to understand because they only understand what we're saying. And so sometimes we say something, but our body language says something else. It's just really confusing. So... Make sure that you are matching your body language to your words. And if you are a high D or a high I, you will probably need to practice this, especially high eyes. You need to practice because this doesn't come naturally. What happens naturally is what Clinton does, which is his body language is out of sync with his words. And that's what happens naturally. And so you have to fight against that if you want your audience to be able to understand you easily. It's often really hard for us, for anyone, because our body language is so habitual. It's so routine for us. Yes. You don't even think about the way you're moving your body when you're talking. And that's fine in normal everyday interactions. Although if you're aware about disc and tailoring, you might have heard us say there's a better way to do it. And that is being cognizant of those gestures and editing them, tailoring them so that the other person can understand you better. And this is similar to that. You don't think about how you move your body and what you end up with is gestures that are so inherent to you that you don't even know that you're doing them. I do this thing where instead of shaking my head no or nodding it yes, I bobble my head side to side, which is very odd. I'm not sure why or where I picked it up. And I didn't know that until I saw myself on video. And it turns out that in India, that's a really common gesture. And I have no idea where I got it. And the way I use it is, I don't know. That's 
that's my head movement for I'm not sure or I think I disagree. But in India, it's often yes. And so that's something that I wasn't aware of. And I need to know things like that about my own body language. And it's hard because you don't even, I don't even realize I'm doing it half the time. It looks silly on me. (laughs) And probably people don't notice it either. When you go to Toastmasters, one of the things they do is they count the number of ums and ahs you say in in any one speech or any one piece of speech in a meeting. And it's amazing (laughs) when you start listening to yourself, the verbal tics you have and also the physical tics you have, the tendency to put your hands together and kind of wring them or to rock back and forward or to move your weight from foot to foot, all of those which are incredibly distracting and not helping with your message. But until you see yourself on video or you have someone who is looking for those specifically, you won't even know about it. So let's talk about S's and C's. They need to increase their gestures in size and also in frequency. The high S's and high C's are reserved profiles. And so they don't naturally move their bodies and faces as much as the other styles. That's funny that we're talking about Harrison Ford. He's one of my favorite examples of a reserved profile because he's so good at editing his stuff when he's acting. But as a naturally, Harrison Ford is a reserve profile. And if you were to watch his speech, if you're a, a licensee, you can listen to or watch this in the link in the show notes. There's a speech he's giving at the unveiling of Mark Hamill's Hollywood Walk of Fame star. That's those stars they have in the, on the pavement in Hollywood, right? For the famous people. Yeah. They put these I think they're granite or concrete stars on the Hollywood in front of this famous theater. So they're unveiling this. And in the first minute and 10 seconds, he smiles twice. In fact, in the entire video, he only makes five facial expressions. His voice is flat. It barely rises or falls. And you can't even see his hands. He has one hand behind on on Mark Hamill's shoulder behind him. And so you can't see that hand and the other hand in his pocket. Even knowing what he's saying, knowing the words, it doesn't seem like he's at a party or a celebration or something exciting. There's a bunch of interviews with him when he's presenting new movies. He was interviewed for Ender's Game and also um, some Star Wars movies. And it's the same thing. He does not seem excited. This is characteristic of reserve profiles. High S's, high C's, you need to amp up your body language in order to help your audience understand what it is that you're saying. Add some smiles, you know, two more smiles, one at the beginning as he begins speaking and one before he says, I was surprised, would help the audience, right? It would clue you in to the fact that they're at a happy occasion, Right. We said earlier that people can really read other people's emotions from their faces. You could not read Harrison Ford's emotions from his facial expressions in that video. You just couldn't. Or you would, and you'd get it wrong. Yeah. It's really hard to read. And this is something that, just like the other profiles, you might need to rehearse. Moving your body and smiling don't come naturally to high S's and high C's, so it might not come naturally to you. Also, in my experience, what feels like a big gesture to a high S or a high C is actually very small. And the same thing with a smile. 
I've had people say, I tried to smile a little more and that means just like an increase of one, which I guess if you only smiled twice, that's a 50% increase. And so that's a pretty big jump. And it's good to rehearse and to be aware. One way to make it easier is to associate certain words or phrases in your presentation with a gesture or facial expression and kind of give yourself some clues there. So for example, if you say the word book, you could reach out your hands, palms up, and then use one hand to indicate turning pages or reach your hands out and open them even. You could teach yourself as well that when you come to the end of a paragraph or a slide that you look up and smile. Yeah, you're just learning new habits, right? And we're all really good at learning bad habits. Somebody told me this once. I was complaining about how how hard a good habit was to learn. And she said to me, yeah, but you're really good at learning bad ones. Yeah, you're right. Actually, I'm not bad at learning habits. I just don't want to do this one. But if you can habituate, if you can automatically, every time you say the word book, you make this gesture and you make it so that your elbows are a little way away from your body and your hands are a little further apart than your body, that becomes a big gesture. And if you can habituate that and some smiles, that you know, every time I get to the end of what would be a paragraph if I was writing, you think, okay, I've got to smile got to smile. You're giving yourself a cue and your body will naturally take the action that you've taught it to do. The same way that we shut the front door and then we turn the key and we walk away and we can't remember whether we locked it or not because it's a habit. So now if you if you can make I smile at the end of every paragraph a habit, you will smile a lot more than if you just did it naturally. Absolutely. Next is don't wear distractions. Your audience is using a good proportion of their brain power to listen and interpret what you're saying. We don't want them to have to use limited brain power on screening out distractions that you yourself have created or brought in. So we wouldn't recommend that you wear really large or noticeable jewelry. Don't wear anything that makes a sound, whether it's bracelets that jangle or a coat that squeaks. This is kind of funny. I have to put lotion on the heels of my feet because sometimes the shoes I wear to present, the leather is so soft that they get stuck and they squeak. But I have to do this every day before I present. Because everybody is thinking, what is that squeak? Are there there mouses in this room? Yeah. And it's just because of my shoes. And I love the shoes because they're so comfortable to stand in. But I have to put lotion on my heels or else they'll make noise all day long. So don't wear anything that squeaks or, you know, fix your shoes if they do. (laughs) Don't wear anything with a large image, like a logo or a t-shirt with a really big picture printed on it. We wouldn't recommend you wear anything with writing on it or anything that impedes your movement. So you do want to be pretty comfortable, right? You want to be able to move your arms and make those gestures and things like that. Also, you know, there's probably some fashion statement things that we could edit for this presentation or when you're talking to the audience, you might adore those bright red glasses and they make a distraction for the audience sometimes, things like that. (laughs) You might think you'll look plain and boring if you're the kind of person that normally has a lot of accessories or has t-shirts with things written on it. But in this case, you're going for plain and boring. (laughs) Yeah. Um, 
You want your audience to be using their brain power to understand your points and be persuaded, not wondering what your shirt says. And I looked at a bunch of TED videos uh, to see what they wore. If you look, they are all very plain and boring. Women have a dress or a top and pants or a skirt. They don't have any big statement jewellery. They don't have a big necklace or long earrings. Uh, The men generally wear pants and a t-shirt or pants and a shirt. Uh, And some of them have suits on. They're not loud. They're not red shirts or purple shirts. They're generally muted colours, which helps because if you have a muted colour on, it's easier to see your face as a contrast against what you're wearing. Uh, And the other thing they do is they very rarely wear grey because the background on a TED Talk is grey. If they wore grey, they would start to blend into the background. So there's something else to consider when you're thinking about what you're going to wear is what's going to be behind me. If it's a stage and there's going to be a colour there, you don't want to be wearing that colour. Yeah, it's kind of like the green screen effect. And if you're going to be on TV, you don't wear bright colors and you don't wear stripes. Stripes, yeah, they flicker. Yeah, so... Pinstripes, they flicker. (laughs) It it depends where you're going to be, how far you need to go down this. But you certainly, you know, that short list that, that Kate gave a little while ago, that's the bare minimum of what you need to consider. Body language is an important part of communication. And speakers of a second language rely on it even more than speakers of your own language. Ensure that they can see what you're saying and that your body language is congruent with the words that you're saying and the tone you're trying to convey. It's something that people won't be able to put their finger on, but will help to increase their comprehension significantly. Awesome. Thanks, Kate. Thanks, Wendy. That's all for this week. We'll be back next week with more guidance. 